0: Welcome to the Hills. If you're watching online, I'm so glad you're with us. And what you don't know is that I'm not preaching live today at the North Richland Hills campus. I'm preaching live today at the West Fort Worth campus. So a big shout out to all of you in person at North Richland Hills and South Lake campuses. We are one church in three locations. And I'm often asked, which campus do you like to preach at live? The most, And my answer is, whichever one I'm at. I mean, seriously, I love being live at every one of our campuses. I love being one church in three locations. We got a taste of that this past week. Our one spectacular night. Three nights where hundreds and thousands of children and guests were blessed by the talents of people from all three of our campuses. So, if you were a part of that amazing event, I just want to say... Thank you. Now, we are doing a series of sermons about the greatest sermon ever, called the Sermon on the Mount, the words of King Jesus, about the way of King Jesus, and we're going to look at a very familiar text in just a moment, and what stood out to me as I tried to read it with fresh eyes this past week is how many questions Are in our text. Jesus was a master question asker. So I thought I would start and end this sermon with questions. So here's my question. For all of you watching online at every campus, hold up your hand if you worried about anything last week, okay? Hold up your hand. Did you worry about anything last week? Okay. I don't even have to be in your home or in every sanctuary to know that Almost everybody raised their hand. And all these raised hands tell me two things. Number one, it tells me that worry is pervasive. Asking if you worried last week is almost like asking if you breathed last week. Uh, The Peanuts cartoon strip has Charlie Brown in one frame saying, sometimes you lie in bed at night and you don't have a single thing to worry about. The next frame, Charlie says, that always worries me. We can relate to that, right? I'll be uh, honest, full disclosure here. I can worry about preaching a sermon telling you not to worry. And so the first thing we know by all those raised hands is that worry is pervasive. But here's the second thing it revealed. And that is, most Christians view worry as an acceptable sin. Now, I don't back off from saying that worry is a sin because if Jesus says not to do something and I do it, I have disobeyed Jesus. But most of us think worry is a sin, but it's an acceptable sin. Let me explain what I mean. What if I had asked you to raise your hand last week if you had harbored lustful thoughts. Raise your hand if you looked at porn last week. Raise your hand if you had any racist thoughts last week. Did you use a racial that? Epithet- raise your hand, please. Raise your hand if you got so mad at somebody last week you cussed them out. Raise your hand if you got drunk last week or got high. Raise your hand if you lied to anybody in your family or at work last week. Now, here's the thing. Hands should be raised to all those questions, but they wouldn't be because those are sins that we know are big deals, but worry, we don't think worry is a big deal, but King Jesus does. He thinks worry is a big deal. Now, before I go any further, I need to stop and say, that the text we're going to read, Jesus is addressing a particular kind of worry. What he's not doing in this text is referring to deep-seated anxiety disorders. That could be rooted in physiology. That could be rooted in deep trauma. Here at the Hills, we believe that medicines and doctors and counselors and therapists are graces of God, and no one should be shamed because they are seeking To get better mental health. But that is not the kind of anxiety Jesus is talking about in the text we're about to read. What Jesus is challenging in his sermon is the normalizing of the constant fearful thinking about tomorrow. That implies that God is neither good or great. You see, worry Is no small deal to Jesus because trust in God is a big deal to Jesus. So we're going to read a text that many of us have heard most of our lives. And again, I don't want us to be so familiar with the words that we don't really listen. Who is Jesus preaching this sermon to? Primarily to very poor people. They don't have a closet of clothes at home. If they have one change of clothes, they're blessed. They don't have a freezer stocked with food. They eat, many of them, day to day. And it is to those people that Jesus said this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, when Jesus says don't worry about tomorrow, I don't think he means don't even make plans about tomorrow. He's not forbidding making plans for the future. The book of Proverbs commends planning. In fact, I think you can see examples in Jesus' life that he was a planner. He spent all night in prayer before he picked 12 men because his plan was for them to take the gospel to the world. You see, in the gospel, Jesus would leave certain places and go specifically to other places because he had a plan in mind. In fact, you could argue that his whole mission of coming to earth and going to a cross was part of God's eternal plan. I don't think Jesus is forbidding planning. What he's forbidding is that kind of incessant fretting about tomorrow that impugns the sovereignty and the character of God. Now, Jesus is not surprised that pagans worry. And when he uses that word pagans, he just means people that don't order their life around God. People that either don't believe in God or don't let God be the Lord of their life. Their life and their heart is given to stuff and to money. And so it's normal and natural. They would worry all the time because tomorrow is a constant threat to that which has captured their heart. Because here's the thing. I don't care if you're a believer or a non-believer. You cannot order your life so as to be in total control of future outcomes. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your plan is. I don't care how in charge you think you are. None of us can order life so that we are totally in control of future outcomes. So Jesus says, I totally get it why people without God would worry all the time. What he's asking is why do people who believe in the power of God and believe in the goodness of God, why do they allow what they cannot control to control their thought life and fill them with constant fear? Because even though we cannot control outcomes, Jesus seems to think that we can control outlooks. That we have control over how we will look at life that we can't control. Now he knows the questions that worry asks. He mentions three of them. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What if, questions, life will always be full of them. What if gas prices keep going up? What if a recession comes? What if my job downsizes? What if the test results come back malignant? Life will always be full of what-if questions. So what Jesus does in this text is he suggests a really unique strategy for combating worry. Are you ready? He says, ask better questions. Jesus responds to the three what-if questions of his day with five questions. By the way, side note, Jesus was a master question asker. One of the greatest ways to work through life is to learn to ask better questions. They said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? And he told a story and said, who was the neighbor to the man in the ditch? All the time he would do this. Whose likeness is on that coin when he was asked about paying taxes to Caesar? What Jesus is saying is that kingdom people can challenge the fearful thoughts that challenge them. So what I want to do is I want to kind of sum up Jesus' teaching with three big questions that he wants us to ask that are better questions than what if this or that happens tomorrow here's question number one is worry helpful now please do not hear me say that if you would just rid your life of worry then you would rid your life of trouble because Jesus did not say that he said the opposite he said each day has enough trouble of its own Jesus understands that life is hard. And Jesus never said, don't get mad at God for not keeping a promise he never made. Jesus never promised, follow me, and you won't have any problems tomorrow. What Jesus did say is that worrying about tomorrow is stunningly unproductive today. And you know what? You don't have to be a person of faith to put faith in his assessment. Jesus is an absolutely astute observer about what's true about life. Whether you believe he's the son of God or not, what he said is true. Worrying today is stunningly unproductive when it comes to tomorrow. Jesus said, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? life. Worry cannot lengthen your life. Now, it can shorten your life. The evidence is overwhelming that worry is killing people. And the sad thing is, Jesus says, this is a self-inflicted pain, and it produces no constructive deliverables. Notice, Jesus holds us accountable for worrying so much, which suggests then that worry is a choice. That what Jesus is doing to all of his questions is he's pointing out, you're not a born worrier. No, you learned to become a worrier as a way of coping with the problems of life. And what Jesus wants is for citizens of his kingdom to give witness to the world That there is a better way to cope with the troubles of life than constantly being fearful. That kingdom people can take useless and destructive thoughts captive. Here's one thing we could do. For example, instead of worrying about the problems of tomorrow, we could focus on the blessings of today. Let me illustrate that with what I call the it could be worse way to think. Everybody say that with me. It could be worse. One more time. Everybody, one, two, three. It could be worse. I'm going to give you several scenarios. And when I point to you, you say that out loud, okay? For example, cars. Boy, it's so easy to worry about cars. You're going to leave in a moment. You're going to get in a car. And, and you could be worried about how am I going to keep putting gas in this car, and how am I going to pay for interest in this car, and how am I going to ever get a new car? Here's the truth. You got a car. That makes you one of the richest people in the world. And so instead of worrying about your car, you're going to look at your car, and you're going to say, what? It could be worse. There are billions of people that would love To know that if their child was sick in just a few minutes they could drive them to a hospital yes it could be a lot worse you got a car you got a home you're going to go to it a little bit it may not be the nicest home it may not be the biggest home and and yes taking care of a home is a constant hassle but can I remind you you got a home so when you go home I want you to look at it and say what It could be worse. It could be a lot worse. There are billions of people on earth that cannot imagine just flipping a switch and light comes on, turning a knob and clean water comes out, even hot water. It could be a lot worse. (laughs) And then let's talk about your marriage, okay? Let's be honest. He's lost some hair. She's put on a few pounds, but you know what? After all these years, you're still together, putting up with each other. So when you wake up in the morning, you're going to roll over and you're going to look at your mate and you're going to say, no, you're not going to say that. Are you crazy? You're going to think it. You see, we really do. We really do have the capacity to decide what we're going to think about. So Jesus is brilliant. It's just challenging the idea that worry is helpful. In fact, I would argue worry only helps in one way. Worry helps us identify our idols. Ooh, what I just said. Worry helps us identify where we have misplaced our affection, especially when it comes to money and stuff. That's the second... Good question, Jesus asked. Is more meaningful? You see, we live in a culture with a more addiction, which, by the way, I think is evidenced by the success of what I would call the store industry. One industry has excelled in the last few years in our country. It's tripling in growth storage units. 90% of all the storage units in the world are in our country. 80% of them are owned by households and families. Right now, every single American has six feet square of storage space available. What's up with that? A pastor friend of mine tells a story, a man came to him recently, they were in a big move. He said, pastor, many years ago when we moved to our current house, uh, we were putting stuff up and I wanted to throw some stuff away and my wife wouldn't let me. She just insisted we hold on to it. I put it in a box and I wrote on the box, stuff my wife will never use. And now here we are years later moving to a new home and I got that box out and it hasn't been opened once. What is up with that? Why are we so obsessed with having more? Has more stuff brought us more contentment? More satisfaction? Or more purpose? Have homes full of stuff produced lives full of meaning? So Jesus asked this really profound question. We read it so fast, maybe we miss it. Listen again. He said, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? If you have all the stuff you could ever want, if you never had to worry one more time tomorrow about stuff, would that mean you have a good life? We heard Jesus say last week. Last week, life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. In fact, I like how that verse reads from the message. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And deep down, don't we know that? Don't we know that life is more than a home stuffed with stuff? We see evidence every week. Another celebrity, another politician, another famous athlete, another pastor. People who have so much and their life just Implodes, And the evidence is all around us that more cannot deliver meaning. There's a man in the Bible named Solomon. He went on a search of life under the sun, life without God, where he could find meaning. And one of the things he tried was wealth. And here's what he concluded in chapter 5, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. In fact, it's interesting, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, here's what more stuff brought me. Number one, it brought me more disappointment, more emptiness. As I continued to learn that stuff can't fill the void in your soul, it brought me more fake friends more people who wanted to be attached to me just because they wanted access to my wealth. And here's the most interesting thing. He said, it brought me more anxiety. Isn't that Amazing. The more things you have, it seems the more things you have to worry about. And maybe that's why Jesus never told anyone that more money or stuff was the answer to the deepest longings of our soul. In fact, Jesus would contend that one of our greatest needs is to realize we don't need as much as we want. Ooh, I'd say that again. That one of our greatest needs is to realize we don't need as much as we want. Again, listen to Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. One of the things that Jesus is saying is that we are missing so many of the blessings of today obsessing about tomorrow. Today, you can hug your family. Today, you can laugh with a friend. Today, you can enjoy some good food. Take a nap. Go view a sunset. Pray with another believer. Be alone and commune with the Spirit of God. This is the day the Lord has made Rejoice! Be glad in it. See, that really gets to the heart of the problem that Jesus has with worry. It shows a lack of trust that each day belongs to and is a gift from God. You see, the the biggest question underneath our worry is this. Is God faithful? See, worry is no small deal. To Jesus, Because trust is a big deal to Jesus. And the son cares about what people think of his father. Father's Day is coming up next weekend. I know for some of you it's a hard day because you did not have a good relationship with your earthly father. But many of you did. And there are many of you that if someone attacked the reputation or the character of your father, it would be a big deal to you. And that's why worry is a big deal deal to Jesus because it's saying something about the character of his father. And so Jesus comes back and says, go outside. Look at the birds of the air. See how the flowers grow. Aren't you much more valuable than they? You know what he's saying? Put your remote down, put your phone down, go outside and look at God's world. Look at the testimony God is giving about his faithfulness in his creation. He's got a track record that God takes care of what he makes and cares about. And here's the thing. What flower is made in the image of God? What bird is a co-heir with Christ? What's the matter with worry? It makes us forget that we matter to God. The Apostle Peter would write and say in his first epistle, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. So here's the thing. If we can't trust God with our present burdens, what makes us think we can trust Him with our future salvation? Seriously, you are trusting God in the future To secure your eternal destiny. But you don't think he's big enough to take care of what you're dealing with right now? I'm saying that the God who is strong enough to carry a cross is big enough to carry your concerns. And so when what if questions come, here's a better question to ask from Romans 8 since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? What a good question. If God wouldn't keep his own son from blessing you, what blessing is God going to keep from you that you really need? Now, The promise is not that God's going to give you everything you want. In fact, I can promise you God's not going to give you everything you want because the last thing He's going to do is enable your more addiction. God is not going to help us become better idol worshipers. But the promise is that God will give us everything we need to walk in the way of King Jesus. Everything that you need, To be a faithful follower of Jesus, God will give you. You see, we don't worry so much because our problems are so big. We worry because our goals are so small. And so Jesus is challenging our questions with better questions because Jesus wants us to get a better quest. You need to pursue something today. That cannot be threatened tomorrow. And Jesus says, I know what that is. I know what the better quest is. That is the ultimate answer to worry. Look again. Verses 32 and 3. Your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And he will give you. Everything you need. God will give you everything you need to seek his reign, to enjoy his reign, to promote his reign. That nothing tomorrow can challenge your status as his child. Your opportunity to participate in his agenda. Or your hope in the future that he has announced. What I'm saying is nothing tomorrow can keep you from seeking the kingdom if that is the most important thing in your life. Think about Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, he writes from prison. He says, God's going to deliver me. I just don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to get out of prison. I don't know if I'm going to be executed. But to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, if I I get out, I'll live for Christ. If they kill me, I'll live with Christ. Christ. Either way, win, win. So look at this with me. To live is, what would you put in that blank? If some of you were honest, you'd say to live is my kids, to live is my health, to live is my wealth, to live is my politics. And here's the thing. If you put anything in that blank besides Christ, you will live a fearful life because tomorrow is a threat to anything else you put in that blank. Here's what I've come to see. The cause of our worry is having the wrong cause. You need to live your life for something that tomorrow can't threaten. You need to live your life for something that tomorrow can only enhance. You need to seek the kingdom of God. This picture you're seeing is of a man named Paul Azinger. He's now a golf announcer. He was for many years a professional golfer. And uh, during his career, he felt a pain in his shoulder. He thought it was a muscle pool he got a test and found out he had a very dangerous kind of cancer not just threatening his career but threatening his life he went through a long journey of chemotherapy and radiation and he was now cancer free and he was asked because it turned out to be a real wake-up call for him if golf was important anymore and here's what he said yes and no yes of course golf is important to me i love the game it's how I make a living, but no, golf is no longer at the top of my priority. In fact, it runs a slow forth. My priorities now are God, my family, my friends, and golf. Golf is no longer my God. Golf is hitting a little white ball. God is my God, and God is a whole lot bigger than golf. Ask better questions so that you will get a better quest. Because here's the thing. You're never going to be able to say no to worry until you get a bigger yes. I told you I would start and end with the question. So I close with this. Is King Jesus your biggest yes? Pray with me. And so, God, we we know we worry too much. And the only thing that comes from it that might be good is it maybe identifies some areas of our life where our affections are misplaced. And so, God, right now, would your Holy Spirit in each person identify things that might be too important to us? that might be trying to push Jesus off the throne and help us, God, when those fearful thoughts come, challenge them, take them captive, ask better questions. Keep Jesus on the throne because when Jesus is on the throne, tomorrow is not something to fear. So God, we confess this is an area where we need to grow. And we ask you to give us what we need to keep Jesus as our biggest yes. And we pray in his name. Amen.